talk to you about a subject. Today is a teaching message to born-again Christians, really. If you're here not saved, this is primarily not for you, though we're here for you to help you know Jesus is your Savior. And I would suppose, and I could say safely, that we'd have a little bit of the, we'll have the gospel in every service. But primarily, this is for Christians, the edification message. First Corinthians, take your Bibles if you would. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 through the end there. Uh, well, I'm just going to read through 22. I may go through the whole place. I don't know. But uh, you may have an electronic Bible. I, when I travel, I use my phone as my Bible. I have Alexander Scorby on my phone. I have a Blue Letter Bible on my phone. I have eSword on my phone. All three of those are fabulous. I have, I have uh, I, but at home, when I study, I use paper. I, have a, I still have a library. I'm, the la I'm one of the last preachers that has a library. The preacher, new preachers today, they have electronic library. I mean, literally on, on their in their iPad or their phone, they got more books than I've got, and more availability to them. So I don't blame them. But I have fallen in love with books, and uh, the book, and then books. Been my whole life. If you don't read, you are cheating yourself out of a whole world of wisdom. I hope you read. There's a lot of confusion around uh, biblical uh, liberty and freedom. The word freedom and liberty are misused and abused. And I'm going to start out a little negative with telling you a little bit about the abuse of it because I wouldn't doubt if I did a survey of you folks one at a time and you would be totally and 100% honest with me about it that you and many of you in this room probably have a, uh, been influenced by the liberal definition of liberty and the liberal definition of freedom because it has been pushed hard in every area among Christians and Christianity. It's been twisted, perverted, changed, misdefined, and especially in these last 35 years. Liberals, and I use that word, and I may I should define it, um, never have defined uh, liberty and freedom correctly or biblically. And, and I say that because, uh, and, and don't, don't be upset with me when I tell you this, but liberals, for the most part, and I've met many of them, are not saved people. You say, Brother Bill, can you finally judge whether somebody saved or lost? No, that God has reserved that to himself. Because God knows the heart, I don't. But from looking at the fruit, I could say, from the fruit, he said, you'll know them. I'm just going to have to say from the fruit, I wouldn't want to die like they are. You know what I mean by that? I wouldn't want to face God 
with a belief system that they say they have. And so, and I'm not talking politics now. I'm talking Christian. I'm talking theologically in Christianity, liberals as we know them. I define them as unbelievers who want the results believers have without the birthing process, without the responsibilities that we have, and maybe most of all, without obeying the Bible. Uh, they want the fruit of Christianity without the duty of Christianity. They want the benefits of Christianity without the Bible's specificity, without the specifics of the Bible. They're not, liberals are not much into detail. Uh, in fact, they deny most of the Bible has any relevance uh, to them. Uh, it is, it is, they believe the Bible's most, this is something that's hard to get out of them now because you know a liberal by what they don't say. And that's hard to figure out because they don't say. Now, we conservative, fundamental, independent, hellfire, damnation, shingle, pulling, window, rattling, Bible believer. We tell everybody what we believe. I mean, we tell them we believe this, we believe, we believe, we believe. We put in our sign, we put in our definitions. We want people to know what we believe. So people know what we believe. But liberal, by nature, is a hider. He's a, he's a, he doesn't want you to know who he is and what he believes. And, and uh, so it's real hard to figure them out, but I've figured them out enough, been around them enough to know that they really believe the Bible's been corrupted. And it, it really cannot be relied on in the majority. And really, the part that you can get them down to, well, what part do you think the Bible has a relevance to us today, 2019? Uh, you know, they'll look and they'll say, maybe the Beatitudes, maybe. Well, what part of the gospel is really Jesus' words? Well, there's not much there that's really Jesus' words. People through the years have added this in and added that in, and, and they put in what they wanted and all of that. And so, uh, and why is that? Because they do not have the Holy Spirit. Did you know that you cannot understand this book without the Holy Spirit? Do you want to know how you got all these cults? Every ism and schism you can imagine. Every little gradient difference, uh, but a bit like the Mormons. The Mormons, you can't get a Mormon to disagree with you, yet they don't believe anything we believe. They've defined everything. They use the same terms we use, defined them all differently. How does that happen? No Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who wrote this book is the only one that can explain this book to you. He, you people in computers, he's the key. The Holy Spirit is the password that gets you into this book. Oh, all you computer people get that, right? Some of the older folks, what's that about? Okay. He's the one that gets you into it. So the Holy Spirit is what their, the Holy Spirit is what their problem is. And of course, uh, they that are in the flesh, Cannot please God. So there's only two groups of people. Those who've been born from above that have the Holy Spirit and those who don't. And those who don't are in the flesh. And if you're in the flesh, you can't please God. Does that make logic to you? And so it makes sense they don't understand. It makes sense they twist. It makes sense they pervert. It makes sense that they, that they come up with these crazy interpretations of the Word of God. That 2,000 years where the born-again Christians disagree with. And say, no, 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 that's not what it says. 
But it's what's also crazy is they're the ones who talk up liberty. They talk up freedom. And they say, we restrict liberty, and we restrict freedom. That's because they're so messed up. They completely define it differently, the term. And so let's go to our text with that preamble and uh, read it. Verse 19 through, oh, let's go through 27, why not? For though I be free from all man, Apostle Paul, Holy Spirit, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Now, if you mark your Bible, I'm going to try to emphasize every time I hit the word gain, color it, circle it, do something about it, because you want to do that. I might gain the more. Under the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law. Being not without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. I, you know, especially these liberals who cry liberty, liberty, liberty. How do you like the term law of Christ? I did a series on 127 commands of Jesus. I found at least 127 New Testament commandments of Jesus Christ, imperative in the Greek, commands. So, he says, that I might gain, there it is again, gain, verse 21, them that are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I mean, I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I must say this, the all things and all means contextually has to be biblical. Paul said, I'm under the law of Christ, didn't he? Just a couple of verses up there. Well, he said, I am, that makes sense that if he said I'm under the law, not without the law of God, I'm under the law of Christ, that all means... I become all, I, I, by all means, I'm all things, has to be all biblical things, all biblical means. Uh, Paul is not advocating as, as many of those uh, that I just talked about at, at the beginning do, that you basically, under Christ, can do anything you want to do, anywhere you want to do it. it you're, not, you're under no law. But that's not what he said. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partakers thereof with you. Now here he gives an illustration here in verse 24, 25, 26. He says, no, you're not. Uh, they which run in a race. So he's talking about a runner. I, I ran track, uh, but receive a, one, the prize, okay? They run all, but one receives the prize, as the bus ministry this morning. Only one received the prize. So run that you may obtain. Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate. That means self-control, discipline. In all things. And they do it that they may attain a corruptible crown. But we do it, and I add that in, that we can obtain an incorruptible crown, right? And so it says, I therefore so run. Not as uncertainly, I have a plan. 
I so fight I. This is more my my dad was a boxer. He, he taught us to box and did the speed bag and all that other stuff. And this I understand what it takes. It takes discipline, not as one that beateth the air. I I know what I'm doing. Left, you know, throw a left, right, left, up, 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 uppercut, all this other. He says I got a plan. I run with a plan. I fight with a plan. And what? Where's that plan come from? The Bible. The Holy Spirit makes sense, right? That's the context of it. Remember, a text without a context is a pretext. So it says, but I keep under my body, that's the second mention of discipline, and bring it into subjection, that's the third mention of discipline, lest by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. That also can mean like a shipwreck. And boy, it happens, and it happens. So let's go back to verse 19 there, and we'll go through a little exposition here quickly and some application. First of all, liberty, biblical liberty, is about others. Others. Others, Lord, yes, others. Let this my motto be that when I live for others, I might live like thee. Let me live from day to day in such a self-forgetting way that even when I kneel to pray my prayer, might be for others. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. If you're a born-again Christian, right with the living God, uh, and, and you care about Jesus Christ who died for you, you're grateful for what he did, and you want to serve him, your life is going to focus on others. You will not be able to wear the T-shirt that I saw one day that said, it's all about me. They asked me to preach at Bob Jones University, and uh, I think it was 205, and I went and got that shirt. I bought it in Key West, of all places. Key West, where I used to lobster. And so I bought the shirt, took it up there to chapel. I, I cut out a little cardboard thing, put the shirt on it. I put it up there in the pulpit. And Bob Jones, the third, I sat beside the third, and he says, man, who put that thing up there? Get that out of there, he told one of his guys. I said, stop, stop, stop. That's, that's my, uh, you know. He said, what? I said, trust me. This will be my last time speaking, so trust me. So every time I got to this all about me, I told the kids ahead of time, I held it up. Now, kids love crazy stuff, right? I mean, they do. I said, every time I hold this up, I want all of you to say in unison, it's all about me. And I think in that sermon, I had him say it five, six, seven times. Because the truth is, if you took a survey, half of them kids or more, life is all about them. It's not about it. They haven't grown, matured to realizing the selfish life is a miserable life. It's a self inflicted misery. Whereas the Christian life, full of liberty and freedom, is a life of others, and it's a life of giving, it's a life of expending, and it is a fabulous, fabulous life. There are so many illustrations in nature about that. You'll see a, a dog have like 12 puppies. And that old female will, will let them, them we, in, in uh, the country, I'm a kind of a country boy, kind of. 
And we'll say the puppies are sucking her down. And they'll suck her down to where she's just rib cage. You can see her rib cage. You see her hip bone. Doc, you've seen that. And that old female dog will be literally giving her life for those 12 puppies. Amen? Until they start biting her. And that's it. It's over. And uh, nature's full of that. Of self-sacrifice for others. Our military, full illustrations. Medal of Honor. You only get the Medal of Honor when you sacrifice yourself for others. And that's rare, enough to be rare. So, first of all, I say this in verse 19. Liberty, Christian liberty, Christian freedom, defined by the book, is about others. For though I be free from all men, Yet have I made myself servant unto all. That's it. That I might, why did I do that? Tom Gillespie's big and he's got a little more bang for the buck or something like that. He likes to, that's a beautiful verse for you, brother. That I might gain the more. I might gain the more. Now he's not talking about money gain. Not talking about earthly gain. He's talking about you. You. Somebody gave so I could get saved. Meaning they told me about Christ, right? They gave so I could get saved. They put themselves out. They gave me the gospel. Some of you got saved through gospel tracts were left around. Somebody gave so that you could be saved. There's churches here. A lot of the people that gave to make these buildings stand and this property be here for you this morning, they're all in heaven now. Oh, heaven. Liberty of Christ. I'll tell you in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, you may want to turn there. I'm going to do a little comparison real quick. Paul does an interesting thing between the law and grace, law and grace, law and grace. He does law, grace, law, grace, law. Now we're talking to Pharisees and Pharisees. He he loved the law. He said the law in 7th chapter of Rome is just holy good. I mean, he had nothing against the law. The law of God is just holy and good. We're not under it anymore because grace has come. But grace is actually in the detail more than the law was. Law wanted outside behavior. Grace wants inside behavior. You tell me which is the most detailed. Grace cares about your motive. Law just cares about your action. Amen? Somebody can be keeping the law and not have a right spirit about it. Amen? Most of you driving. I think it ought to be 75. I'll tell you one thing. I went out west. You know, there's states with a speed limit of 80 mile an hour. But I did a comparison there down through chapter 3, and, I, and, I, and he calls the, the, old, the law the letter, and he calls grace the spirit. He calls the law, he says the law killeth, and he says grace giveth life. He says the law is administration of death. He says grace is administration of the spirit. He says the law is administration of condemnation. He says grace is administration of righteousness. He says the law was glorious, but he says grace excelleth in glory. Amen. And he says law is done away. And he says grace 
remaineth. Now, I'm not making that up. I'm not twisting, perverting, or changing it. You read it, there it is. And in verse 17 and 18 of that same chapter, he says, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, Christian liberty. But we all, an open face beholding as in the glass of the glory of the Lord, a mirror, that word glass, man, are changed into the same image. When we, by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit, read this book, it's like a mirror. And we see Jesus, and we see the Holy Spirit, and we see the work of God, and we begin to look at this. And the longer you look at this, the more you start looking like it. The longer you look at this, the more you begin to look like it. I can't tell you how many, how many foul-mouthed, swearing, hard, cruel, selfish people I've seen get into the Bible and begin to read the Bible, and pretty soon they're starting to talk Bible talk. There's, their swearing's been replaced with, love you, brother. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. I, nobody taught them that. They got it. They began to see Jesus in reflection. It's like Moses being up with God for 40 days and 40 nights. He came down, and the Bible says his face showing. That's because when you get around God, you pick it up. I hate to say it, but probably somebody in this room haven't been with God enough to worry about. No wonder you don't have joy. No wonder the victory's not there. No wonder you wonder why you want to come. Why would I want to come to church today? Why would I want to read my book? Why would I want to pray? Because you got to be around God every day. Yeah. He said liberty comes with the Holy Spirit. So, if a man's born again, he receives the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're none of his, Romans chapter 8. John chapter 3, except you're born again, you're not even see the kingdom of heaven. So being born again is when you repent of your sins, trust Christ your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God seals you to the day of redemption. He comes in and dwells with you forever, according to John chapter 14, never to leave you. Even in heaven, he's going to be with me, never going to leave me. He's my constant companion, the one that's going to be with me forever. Beautiful. Never to be lonely again. It's beautiful. And he gives me what the Bible says is liberty. Biblical liberty. So true liberty is from the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is about others. The Holy Spirit is about helping others, saving others. It's not... Uh, the, Christian liberty cannot come from the flesh. It cannot be generated by the uh, will of man. It's generated by God. It's, it, it causes us to sacrifice our lives here on earth for the next. When a person is filled with the Holy Spirit of God, they, their, their eyes come off of this world as a focus, and they go on to the next. I like Pilgrim's Progress, where a while he could see the, in the distance, he could see the light of the heavenly city. That's what happens to a born-again believer. Pretty soon, everywhere he goes, he sees a little bit of the, uh, heaven's my home, I'm just a passing through. I want to sing. I don't want to run you out of here, though. Amen.
The Holy Spirit and Christian liberty causes us to lay our lives down for others. Now, I didn't say that when I, when I got, when I came to this decision in my Christian experience, I was in my teens. Teenagers are extremely selfish by nature. They've been spoon-fed. They haven't really earned anything. And they're extremely used to getting an entitlement. But they're going to have to evolve out of that or grow out of that and get into the area we're talking about if they ever want to be happy. You know why teens are depressed? Because they're not given. Oh, that's good. You could go home with that and say, you've been, it's been worthwhile to come. These three people that sang, I love those three people. I don't like them, but I love them. I don't even know them that well, really, on a one-to-one -one basis, but I can tell you I love them because I sense in them the same decision I made when I was a young man, that my life was not my own. That I was gonna, and I when I remember the night when I laid everything down to God, I laid my dreams. I cried. I cried. I thought, oh, I'm giving so much up for God. Oh, was I stupid? I was a fool. Why God was saving me. From wasting, wasted years, wasted years, oh, how foolish. That's what he was saving me from. Being 67 years old, up here crying in my beer. Christian liberty, or biblical liberty, is what has driven the greatest sacrifices of our biographies of our missionaries. All these biographies, William Carey and Hudson Taylor and Adoniram Judson and oh my, there's many of them, many of these fabulous, fabulous biographies we have as Christians that we've inherited. They're real. They're not fiction written in a book. The people who did it. How did they do it? It's what right here. They got it. They understood life was not about them. It was about the whole. Now, wait a minute. The flesh don't do this. The Holy Spirit's got to do this. He's got to come and show you this. And when He shows it to you, then you can make a decision, yes or no. A lot of people said no to this. Lots of people are going to be in heaven. All their works are going to be piled up, and the fire of God's judgment is going to come on it, and the Bible says their works will be burned up, and they'll be saved only as by fire. They're not going to have reward. They're going to realize they have wasted their, uh, the, great, the greatest opportunity any human being could be afforded would be allowed to work for God. To lay your life down for God. Be the greatest opportunity you'd ever... And God comes to you and says, please do it. Give your life to me. I, want, I got a plan for you. I got a plan. You're going to run with a plan. You're going to fight with a plan, but you're going to do it for me. And you're going to lay down in this world. This world's not going to be the ultimate goal of your life. My will's going to be the ultimate goal of your life. And God gives you that opportunity. And some people are going to be at the judgment seat of Christ going, oh, I didn't do it. 
I want to do it now. It's too late. This is a one-run-through thing we're doing. We're a one-run-through deal. Get it now or forever lose it. Christian liberty is about giving, not getting. Woo. Love overcomes our rights. That's a great statement. Love overcomes our rights. I got all kinds of rights. I got the right. I got the right people to say hi to me, be nice to me. No. Christian liberty is dying to all your rights. Oh, man, that's good preaching. I tell you, I'm having a good time this morning. I may run around the room one time if this gets any worse. I mean, love the Lord, the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit did me such a favor when he taught me that giving up my rights would give me peace. Peace like a river attendeth my way. How? I gave him right. The old boy who wrote, it is well my soul lost his four kids. I think his four kids drowned on the way to England. His wife survived. He gets over there. She telegraphs back, you know, and she's the only one who remains. He gets on a ship, goes over there. He asks the captain, is this about the place where, that, where the ship went down? Yes. Uh, and he writes, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll. He could say it as well with my soul because he was dead to this world. You can't hurt a dead man. I've been in a lot of funerals. I've buried a lot of folks. I've seen a lot of dead people. I, and I, I hate to say it, but I like to touch them just to feel what it's like. They feel just like that, that board right there. They don't respond. If you'll die, the Holy Spirit wants to take you to a place of dying to yourself and living for Him. You become, at that point, unstoppable. Unstoppable. Because you're dead. And you can't hurt a dead man. The devil says, I'm going to take away your health. Go ahead. My health's been gone. I died at 18. I'm going to take away this. I'm going to take away that. I'm going to take away your wife. Go ahead. I'm going to take away your property and all you possess. I don't possess anything because I can't keep it. Take it. I'm unstoppable. You just keep living for Jesus every day with Jesus. is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus, I love him more and more. Jesus saves and keeps me. And he's the one I'm waiting for. Every day with Jesus, sweeter than the day before. I'm not lying. I'm not lying. Love is the driver generated by the Holy Ghost in you. It's legitimized by the Word of God and it's confirmed by that cloud of witnesses. You know, the people who started this church are all up, almost all of them are up there now. I'm, I'm the last dog to die, as they say. I, I, am the, I was 28 when I came here. I was the youngest person here, my wife and I. And so we're, it makes sense that we're the, la <laughs> we're the last. And so that group, that cloud of witnesses is rooting for me today. He's rooting for us today. The Holy Spirit is the driver. 
The word of God is a legitimizer. And the, and the crowd of witnesses is the confirmation. Run! I ran track, ran a 440. Now 440 is a 440-yard dash. It's not a, it's not a stroll through the park. And so you're running as fast as you can for 440 yards. And I remember people that were for me would stand along the edge at, right around that, that fourth turn. Now that fourth turn is when you're in agony. And if you're not in agony, you're not running hard enough. The horror of the 440 is you never can run it fast enough. You just got to run it as fast as you can all the way to the end of the line. So you're always in pain. So that fourth, you know, you're in pain, you got nothing left, and there are people be along the side of the track going, Run! Lytel, run! Run, Lytel, run! Well, you couldn't look back because you didn't know how close the people were behind you, right? If you look back, a lot of times they'll pass you. And what Jesus said, when you put your hands to the plow, don't look back. Don't look back. I believe that cloud of witnesses this morning are saying, run, Gillespie, run, Nick, run, man, Irvine, run, CW, run, 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 keep running. There's really no confusion about Christian liberty to the spirit-filled Christian. He gets it. He gets it. It's for others. I hope. By the way, Gaines mentioned five times in that short passage, 19 through 22, mentioned five times. Um, the gain mentioned there are souls, people, people. You know, the only thing eternal in this room is this book right here. The words of this book and your soul. 500 years from now, there'll be no trace of this building. There'll be no trace that maybe we were even here. But what will still be existing is your soul and the Bible. Man, put your hands with God's hands. Take his hands and say, don't let go. What did that profit a man? If he gains a whole world and loses his own soul, I, stop, I close with this. I have a neighbor that owned a uh, nursery. I've told it uh, maybe one other time. His name was Eric. Eric owned a nursery, 20 acres of plants. One time I went over there to talk to Eric, and he, he Eric was a very arrogant kind of a guy, and he, he, he was a tall guy. He was about this big. I remember I took Eric outside, and I was talking to him about some, trying to talk to him about things of God and different things, and he said, he came out there and he put his chest back. And he said, you see all these plants? That was 20 acres of plants. He said, they're all paid for. He said, you know, there's over a million dollars worth of plants here. I'm a millionaire. 
is I'm going to sell this place. I'm going to move to Hawaii, buy a house on the side of a mountain, that mythical house in Hawaii. And I'm going to live happily ever after. Basically, that was kind of where it went. Eric died December 8th of an instant heart attack without notice, if I remember right. I know he died. And so the, I noticed there was a lot of activity at his, at his place. That's right off of my road, of Six Hills Farm Road. So I went over there. I drove in. I says, uh, I, I, what's going on? You guys have a lot of trucks in here selling plants. He said, oh, Larry, he died, and they're selling his plants. Well, I had, in, in November, I had gone in there and asked Eric to buy some cypress trees, and they were about, you know, that tall. He says they're 125 bucks a piece. Cypress trees, about this big around. I like them. He says $125 a piece. I said, that's too much. That's too much money. I'm not going to pay that. So I had just gone back in December to see if, if he was maybe willing to cut a deal on the cypress trees. The guy says, well, how much you want for those cypress trees out there? He said, 40 bucks. See, your stuff, somebody else is going to sell, but they won't value it like you do. That precious china she packed and cared about, and oh, she mothered all that. Goodwill. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at your kids. Because they don't care about it. It's out of date. Nobody uses that stuff anymore. I don't like that pattern. You can't get upset with them. It's just the way it is. And I'm just trying to help you this morning not to lose, but to gain. Heavenly Father, come. I pray with the blessed Holy Spirit, and I know you have already. I pray that you would change some lives here and change some directions, change some outcomes today with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit as the way it only and ever happens. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.